Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. And on this episode, let's talk about how marketers strategically use language. We're sponsored by uh, my friends at Oracle NetSuite, and they want to help you turbocharge the growth of your business. To get a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry, check out netsuite.com different. And my friends at Splunk want to remind you of the power of data. We have entered the data age, and Splunk brings data to every question, every decision, and every action. Check out splunk.com and tell them Lockhead sent you. Now, hey-ho, let's go. This is Lockhead on Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. All right, legendary marketers uh, fundamentally understand that language matters, and they pay very close attention to the words that they use. And uh, recently, we had a gal named Lee Hartley Carter on Follow Your Different, episode 99, if you want to go check it out, which I highly recommend. And Lee and her firm specialize in what they call language strategy, and she's the author of Persuasion, Convincing Others When Facts Don't Seem to Matter. And uh, my conversation with her kind of fired up uh, a whole bunch of thinking in my head about language that I wanted to share with you, things that I've been thinking about for a super long time. And so the first thing I would share with you as a marketer is pay very, very close attention to the strategic use of words. Um, And uh, I'll give you a simple example. It's probably, if it's not the stupidest thing in marketing, it's certainly one of the stupidest things in marketing. And that's this expression, don't take my word for it. And that's normally the front end to a customer um, a testimonial or some third party testimonial. And you see this in you know TV ads for your local a car dealer or things like that. But hey, don't take my word for how awesome our product is. <laughs> Listen to, you know, Susie over here. And so this phrase, don't take my word for it, completely undermines the car company or any other person who says, don't take my word for it. Because when we say, don't take my word for it, what we're saying is, who I am is not credible, but listen to this other person. Now, you would think such a stupid phrase uh, wouldn't permeate, but it does. It permeates B to C uh, advertising and marketing. And I've even heard sales reps in um, B2B situations say this. I've heard CEOs in uh, B2B situations say this when they're teeing up a customer testimonial video or introducing a customer on stage at a user conference. So be very careful about um, the words that you use. Another example of this, sometimes this, is, um, sometimes this is in marketing, and sometimes it's just in regular conversation. When somebody says to us, um, uh, well, let me be honest with you, what are they saying? Are they saying that so far they haven't been honest with you? And so, uh, or let me be truthful with you, or let me tell you the God's honest truth things along those lines. Why would you ever say that in conversation or certainly in marketing? As opposed to, for example, 
can I be candid with you? Or let me be candid with you. That says you're going to sort of double down on something powerful to say to them, as opposed to, hey, I'm a lying bastard and now I'm going to start telling the truth. Other, way, uh, other things to think about with language. Category creators and designers create new language as part of their category design, as part of uh, creating a powerful point of view. And the reason they do that is legendary marketers, legendary category creators and designers and inventors of all kinds understand that a demarcation point in language creates a demarcation point in thinking which creates a demarcation point in action, usage, and consumption. And so when we use new language, it perks up the brain of the listener. Uh, I'll give you one that I use all the time. Um, You hear the expression, to make a long story short. Well, the truth is, for the most part, when somebody says, to make a long story short, they're actually telling you a very long freaking story that is far from short. And so when I use that expression, I turn it around and make it more, in my opinion, accurate, which is to make a long story longer. Now, how does this work in marketing? Uh, Starbucks is one of my favorite examples, and Lee and I talked about this uh, when she was on Follow Your Different. If you have a product like coffee that at the time, plus or minus 30 years ago, as Starbucks was taking flight, I don't know what the average cost of a coffee was, but it wasn't very much money. It was 25 cents. It was 75 cents. It was whatever it was. Well, if you want to take a product that is in that price range and you want to charge two bucks for it, three bucks for it, albeit with some changes, you have to change the language around it. It's part of category design. It's part of moving the market from where it is to the way you want it to be. So you can't call something that used to cost 75 cents and now you want to charge, you know, three bucks for it, the same thing. So Starbucks created new language. And so when you and I say we would like a double grande latte, that's actually purpose-built language that Starbucks created. They don't call it a medium um, coffee, right? And their language so permeates the uh, coffee category today that when somebody walks into a non-Starbucks, it's not unusual for them to say, I would like a double grande latte. And so their new language has now been adopted by people in the category and they use it regardless of whether they're at a Starbucks or not. That says Starbucks is setting the agenda for how people think about and most importantly, assign or ascribe value to products in that category. Another example of this is there was a point in time where if you were to buy a car that um, uh, had been used by somebody else, we called those cars used cars. And the word used, when you take a step back, is kind of a harsh word. And if you are in the used car category, you know, that doesn't kind of make you feel good. And, and, and the truth is, if you believe what I believe, which is marketing in large part is a transference of feelings, used is not the kind of word you want associated with your category. So today, what are they called? Pre-owned cars. Now, you may say that's bullshit, but fair enough. But the reality is the vast majority of used cars dealer, used car dealers today call themselves pre-owned cars. And then the major manufacturers put another word in front of it. So you can buy a certified pre-owned 
Lexus, right? Which is further telling you that um, this is a good value for you to buy. And so that's another shift in language, demarcation point, which causes a demarcation point in perception. Um, Here's another great example in the B2B space. A lot of people, when they talk about uh, Mark Benioff and Salesforce.com, they talk about the genius of him evangelizing cloud software and the genius of him uh, framing the problem around this mantra of no software. Um, here's the other genius in, in, what, in language that helped create the entire cloud industry or category. And that was reframing the old experience of software. And so Benioff evangelized what is called on-premise software. Now, the folks at SAP were not running around saying they sell on-premise software. Um, Benioff and the cloud folks embraced that term. And here's the thing that's powerful about on-premise software. A, it is functionally correct. So they are not shitting on the competition when they say this. It is, it is an accurate depiction of what happens. In the old days, you installed SAP and most enterprise software in servers in your data center. That's what you did, and you ran them on-premise. By definition, cloud software is off-premise, so to speak. And so the first thing was naming the old experience and naming it around, making it the opposite of the new experience. And then here's the other genius of on-premise. Benioff and the folks at Salesforce, and then after that, other cloud companies imbued on-premise with strong negative associations. Like, oh, you don't want any on-premise software, do you? Like, oh, you don't want brain cancer, do you? And so they made on-premise software equal something negative. And in so doing, that helped drive the category from the old way of thinking, I buy software, run it in my data center, to I rent software and somebody else runs it for me. And so there, the strategic use of language drove a demarcation point in thinking in the category. All right. uh, Another example of this, we have an episode of Follow Your Different coming up soon with Ted Dintersmith, who's a former venture capitalist who's off doing some wonderful things in the education space right now. And he wrote a book called What School Could Be. And there is a federal law in the United States called No Child Left Behind. Now, on its surface, No Child Left Behind sounds like a wonderful law. If you were a member of Congress or the Senate, it sounds like the kind of law you would want to vote for, right? Who wants to leave any children behind? Well, it turns out Because No Child Left Behind is so tied to um, test scores, there's been an unintended consequence uh, for many schools that has left many children behind. And so, on one hand, great name for a bill. Sounds like something we should all, uh, if you will, get behind. When in point of fact, there's some unintended consequences that have been pretty negative for a subset of children. And so, what's my point? Legendary marketers think strategically about language. Lee Hartley Carter says, you need uh, a language strategy as part of your marketing strategy. I would underscore a demarcation point in language creates a demarcation point in thinking, which creates a demarcation point in action, 
consumption and usage. So uh, number one, legendary marketers create new, powerful language. Number two, they use that language to create new thinking that educates the world as to exactly how they want the world to think about what they do and why it matters and how to value it. And number three, you know you're winning when customers start to use your language, when they start to parrot it back to you, and it gets even sweeter when they use your language, triple grande latte, when they walk into a competitor. All right, there you have it. In completion, we would like to thank the amazing folks at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. That's one, the number one, LifeFullyLive.org. My friends at the Marketing Journal, at TheMarketingJournal.org. This is what legendary marketers are reading on the internet. If you are in the technology industry and you want to do, uh, and you're in the U.S. and you want to do legendary marketing in Europe, check out my friends at positivemarketing.com. That's positivemarketing.com. And uh, the book and conversation that was the spark for this episode is from Lee Hartley Carter, and her book is called Persuasion. Why not pick up a copy today? Uh, my friends at Splunk bring data to every decision every action and so i recommend you check out splunk.com today and the thought i'll leave you with is from george orwell who said the greatest enemy of clear language is insincerity uh that's it thank you so much for investing part of your life with me stay legendary and until we're together again follow your different 